Welcome to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. Life Study emphasizes the capital L life that can be found in the scriptures. Jesus himself said in John 6:63, "The words I have spoken to you are spirit and are life." This is the fruit of over 70 years of ministry by Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. Watchman Nee began his ministry in China in the 1920s and it continued until his imprisonment and eventual martyrdom in the 1970s. Witness Lee brought this ministry to the United States in 1962 and began speaking these life study messages in 1974, completing it in 1995. To find out more, you can visit our website, lifestudy.com. Again, that's lifestudy.com. Now, let's join today's program. Revelation chapters 2 and 3 present us with seven epistles written to seven local churches. These letters are the record of the actual situation existing in these seven churches at the time the letters were written. But since this is Revelation, a book of signs with a prophetic nature, the situations of the seven churches are also signs, signifying prophetically the progress of the church in seven stages. Today, we come to the third of these seven letters, the church in Pergamos, and Dennis Agashi is with us as we look at this very, very enlightening and sobering epistle to one of these seven churches. Welcome to the program, Dennis. Thank you, Chris. I'm glad to be here also. Well, Dennis, as we just mentioned, we now have come to the third church in this uh, collection of seven churches in Asia that are uh, epistles are recorded in chapters two and three of Revelation. The third one is Pergamos. Dennis, let's look at this word Pergamos and its literal meaning and how that's going to apply to what we're going to see today in this prophecy. Pergamos means marriage and high or fortified tower. And so I believe as we get on to the program, we will see the significance of this word. Well, Dennis, the church in Smyrna was very positive. It was a situation where the saints in that city, in that church, were suffering persecution. And of course, we saw that this is a real part of the Christian life but there was a reward for these suffering ones. Today, as we come to Pergamos, as you said, uh, the word means marriage, but not in a positive context. Okay, I'm in verse 12 now. Let's read a few of these as a background before we join Witness Lee. And to the messenger of the church in Pergamos write, These things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast my name and have not denied my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you, that you have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat idol sacrifices and to commit fornication. In the same way you have also some who hold in like manner the teaching of the Nicolaitans, Repent, therefore, but if not, I am coming to you quickly, and I will make war with them with the sword of my mouth. Dennis, the letter will end on a more positive note. We'll get to those verses uh, near the end of the program, but we did want to see at least the context of which this letter is written and get the tone. It is obviously sober, it's uh, serious, and not that positive. Let's join Witness Lee. Now we come to the third church, 
the church at Pergamos. The Greek word Pergamos means both marriage union or a fortified tower, a marriage and a tower. This is very meaningful. In Matthew 13, you know, the mustard seed is small, but eventually it became a great tree. Then in Matthew, you have also this woman who uh, put the leaven into the fine flour. That woman put dark, evil things into the fine flour, which signifies Christ himself as the food to God's people. And the great tree equals what? Equals the high tower. And that woman equals what? Equals the apostate church who married herself to the world. We have to uh, escape out of this high tower. And we have to be separated unto God again, going back to the beginning, to be a pure golden lampstand. Nothing to do with anything early. Nothing to do with the idol. Nothing to do with Satan's saturation. God's design was to have a church outside of the world. Nothing to do with the world, but the Roman Empire has made the church a worldly religion. Then the church became absolutely impure. It is something worldly. It is something related to uh, idolatry. And here the Lord Jesus says, this church is at the place where Satan dwells. And the church is at the place where Satan's throne is. But the church should be the pure golden lampstand. The church should stand all the time against Satan's saturation. Dennis, as we've seen in these programs, and of course we've been pointing our listeners to a book that very much parallels, dovetails with this life study, and that book by Watchman Nee called The Orthodoxy of the Church, we see that these seven letters to these seven churches represent literal churches that had literal, real situations that were addressed in these epistles. But they also have a prophetic significance in that each of these seven letters refers prophetically to the church in the future and the progressive stages that the church would go through. And historically, we know that when we go back and look at the period of time following the severe, intense persecution and suffering that came on the church in the early centuries, uh, represented by yesterday's letter, the church in Smyrna, we really have a situation where the whole thing changed. And we have the church in Pergamos, the church that was married to the world here. A lot of people would argue, Dennis, 
why is this such a bad thing uh, that the church would take on aspects of the world? Would not this make it more attractive to outsiders, to unbelievers, and further the presentation of the gospel if uh, the church and the world became a little more unified? Why, in God's eyes, is this such an evil thing? This is exactly the subtlety of the enemy, Chris, in that the severe persecution that the church in Smyrna experienced only produced more believers and more genuine believers. So Satan, in his subtlety, changed his strategy. Instead of having a frontal, direct approach, he made Christianity the state religion. And then during the reign of Constantine, you had actually unbelievers being baptized, being paid by the government at that time to become believers. In this situation, the Lord says that the church was married to the world, altogether unacceptable to God. The church should be pure. The church is separated. Very clearly, the Lord even told us when he was on the earth, that we are in the world, but we are not of the world. The Lord's entire ministry is to call people out of. The very word church, ecclesia, means to be called out of. The world represented here by Satan's throne. To me, Chris, it's amazing that the Lord Jesus would identify a church in the same place where Satan's throne is and where Satan dwells. Satan's throne is the place where his reign is. His reign is in the world. And so in this situation, we have an unbeliever who's just being absorbed into the world. The Lord classified this as a illegal marriage union. And this is why this epistle, the Lord is trying his best to separate this kind of illegal union. Dennis, the very fact that the word marriage would be associated with this union in the same context of the church is really startling. This was not just a cooperation, an agreement to get along. We see an actual union here typified by a marriage. Uh, This is something that is absolutely repulsive to God. That's correct. This time in history, Chris, of course, we know that the political situation all of a sudden became part of the church affairs, which was altogether against God. Chris, you can see even the Lord's word. He starts off in verse 12. He has a sharp two-edged sword. Right. That is for cutting. That is for dividing the real from the unreal, the genuine from the ungenuine. Then later on, he says, he makes war with those. This shows that the Lord's interest is to separate completely and entirely the real believers from the world. Dennis, we read the first few verses. I want to go back now to verse 13. We're going to look at this in this next section. It says, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast my name and have not denied my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. This one, Antipas, uh, symbolically represents all of the faithful ones through the ages, Dennis, that have stood for the pure testimony of Jesus. That's right. Which really should be the testimony of the church. That's right. We're going to look at Antipas in this section. In the church, there's no ground for Satan. We must be clear about this. This is why there is a real war raging on all the time. It is not a small thing. It is a battle. This testimony is a fighting. And this testimony started, you know, from whom? From Antipas. Antipas. He was the one that uh, took the lead to fight against the worldly church. And he was the one that cut the road 
for us to fight on. And he pioneered the way to fight against the world of the church. And his name means what? Against all. Whatever the world of the church is, whatever the world of the church has, and whatever the world of the church does, Antipas was against it all. So he became martyred. Now we must see the principle. You can see the desirable church, the persecuted church, and uh, the worldly church. Three churches are here. Surely we like to be a desirable church. We also like to be a persecuted church. We have to abandon the worldly church. When you will suffer some persecution, your suffering persecution is a strong sign that you are on the right track. You are following the Lord's steps. We have to be today's antipath. Pergamos teaches us that we shouldn't be in union with the world in any way, in any sense, in any aspect. We have nothing to do with the world. The Lord as the speaker in this epistle declares that he is the one who has the sharp two-edged sword. Such a worldly church is qualified for nothing but the judgment of the word of the Lord. Well, Dennis, so far we have seen three churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, and now Pergamos, a pleasing church, desirable, a persecuted, suffering church, and now today a worldly church. Dennis, we just heard him make a statement that we must be today's Antipas. Surely we want to be those who are pleasing to the Lord, and even if that means we have to be willing to suffer persecution. Uh, talk a little bit first about the name Antipas and what it means, and then how we can be the real Antipas today. Brother Lee had mentioned that Antipas means against all. So as the situation in the church in Pergamos was degrading, there was a faithful brother there who was standing, even his name represents his testimony. He was standing there against the degradation as a testimony to all those in the church that the way that the church is going, Pergamos is going, is not the proper way. In fact, I believe because of Antipas, there were some in the church that held fast the Lord's name right. and did not deny the Lord's faith. Surely this came because of Antipas's testimony. This word today, Chris, is, as you and I know, is not popular because, as you said, today it's easy for us to just water down the things of the Lord to make it accessible and easy for others to take and to be in union uh, with the things of the world to make it more attractive. We should be the antipasses today, the ones who are actually absolutely against this because we care for the Lord's testimony, we care for the Word of God in Revelation chapter 1 and the testimony of Jesus. 
To be an Antipas today is to be an unpopular one, <laughs> not because we are intentionally uh, trying to offend others. It's just because we have a great care and concern for what the testimony of the church should look like today. Uh, the church, again, as I mentioned, is something of great treasure and a great value to the Lord. How can we as the believers marry the very world who crucified our Lord? It just is illogical. It doesn't make any sense. The church today is the bride of Christ. And how can we, as the bride of Christ, be married to Satan, God's enemy? That's just not only illogical, but that's absolutely horrific. But in our experience, if we get too closely associated with the world, we will lose our testimony, and before we know it, we will find ourselves just married to all the things of the world and caring for all the things that just the unbelievers care for. Dennis, you and I were talking before we began to record today. Really, we're not here, or I think believers should not be here so much testifying against, but we're here positively testifying for. Yes. And if the church really is the testimony of Jesus, it will automatically be a testimony against that kind of improper union with the things of Satan and the worldly things. That's right. We don't want to lose our focus. We're not on a crusade. Uh, What we really want to stand for is the proper testimony of Jesus. Really so, Chris. I I so appreciate even the Lord said about Antipas that Antipas was my witness and my faithful one. I think, Chris, your desire and our desire is that when we would meet the Lord, the Lord would say, my witness and my faithful one. Dennis, we surely want to be those that hear those words from the Lord. Uh, That ties in well to where we're going here for the conclusion. At the end of each of these seven letters, even the negative situations, there was a wonderful promise to those who would overcome in the midst of that situation, like this one that you just referred to, the faithful one, the witness. Uh, And the portion in Pergamos' case for the overcomer is to eat of the hidden manna, Mm. a marvelous portion, uh, and to receive a name that no one else knows, and to be transformed into a piece of white stone for God's building. Let's look at verse 17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I will give of the hidden manna, and to him I will give a white stone, and upon the white stone a new name written, which no one knows except he who receives it. A wonderful, positive way to end this letter, Dennis. It really is. There's really something here for all of us. Let's go back to Witness Lee. We enjoy Christ in a hidden way which no one else understands. This enjoyment works out transformation. How could I say this eating of the hidden manna works for transformation? Because here the promise says, I will give him to eat of the hidden manna, and I will also give him a white stone. But Romans 9 tells us that man is a clay. When Peter came to the Lord, right away the Lord changed his name to a stone. And as we have seen in Jacob's dream, he saw a vision. And uh, when he saw the vision, he called the stone, which he made a pillow to himself, the house of God. If you put all the things together, plus 1 Corinthians chapter 3, that Paul says he built the church with precious stones. And in the New Jerusalem, every piece of the material is a stone. 
You put all this thing together, you can see a stone means a transformed person. The Lord gave the overcomer here to eat of the hidden manna, and also gave him a white stone, indicating if you eat the hidden manna, you'll be transformed into a piece of white stone. My, this piece of white stone means this overcomer by eating Jesus at the hidden manna will be transformed a white stone for God's building. White in the whole book of Revelation means what? Means approved, justified, vindicated. You will be transformed to be a piece of stone which will be approved by the Lord. This piece of stone is for building, and、uh, there is a new name, a new designation. Only you know; others don't know, because you have the experience. Others don't, so others couldn't understand what you are. The new name is just the new designation. The Lord would write upon you, indicating who you are. What you are and how you are. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah.、Amen. Such a promise. I have a share to eat of you, as the hidden man, and this eating of you will do a good transforming work on me, which will please you, which will be approved by you, and which will be used by you for the building up. Of your dwelling, Amen. Dennis, that's a wonderful prayer that our brother、yes. concluded with today. I love these seven letters because they're not only faithful to point out the truth, the reality, the situation, be it black or white, but each one, as we've said before, concludes with a marvelous promise for the ones who faithfully take the Lord's word and overcome. Let's talk about the twofold promise to Pergamus to have the hidden manna to eat. And the white stone for God's building. It's amazing, Chris, that even in a church where Satan's throne is and where Satan dwells, the Lord still comes and promises the overcomers, those who overcome the union with the world practically, and those who overcome the improper teachings, they would have to receive the special. Portion of Christ in this situation is called the hidden manna. This hidden manna was in the deepest part of the tabernacle,、right. not only in the holy of holies, not only in the ark, but also in the golden pot. This signifies the hidden portion of Christ as a special enjoyment. The most precious thing is the intimacy with the Lord, and you can see the experience of the overcomers here in Pergamus is they can experience. Christ as the intimate one, as the special portion, in a hidden way, in a secret way, even in a deep way. I appreciate, Chris, that this hidden man is found in the golden pot. Of course, we know in Second Peter chapter one verse four, we can see that we are partakers of the divine nature.、Right. This shows that this hidden Christ is concealed in the divine nature. So when we partake of the hidden manna, we are partaking of the divine nature. It's amazing, Chris, that God's salvation can be for. Those who are in the place where Satan's throne is, all the way to partaking of God's divine nature, we become transformed to become the white stones. It's amazing. We're created as clay, 
regenerated the stones but transformed into precious stones or, or white stones. And with a justified one, a proved one, which is symbolized by the meaning of white, it also means that we have a new name. And Chris, this means the interpretation of our experience of Christ uh, as the transformed ones. You have a certain experience. I have a certain experience. All the listeners have a certain experience of Christ. And that new name is written on us. Only you and I know what kind of experience of Christ that is. Uh, on one hand, it's enigmatic. On the other hand, it's so experiential and, and it's so precious to us today. Yeah, these points uh, in these seven letters really deal on every level. They're doctrinal, they deal with the truth, they yes. clear up negative situations, and they have the prophetic, but they always bring us back to the center, the focus of this book, as we saw the very first program, the revelation of Jesus Christ and the testimony of Jesus, yes. this very real, dear, precious one. Thank you, Dennis. We're out of time. Quickly, let me uh, just leave you with our toll-free number, one eight 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 life study That's 888 for Dennis Agashi today, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. The focus of Living Stream is the works of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee, two co-laborers with the Lord in China in the first half of the 20th century. After World War II, Witness Lee brought this ministry first to Taiwan, then later to North America and eventually to the entire world. For more than 20 years, he spoke these life study messages, unveiling how each book of the Bible shows God's eternal plan. God, through Christ, wants to dispense his life and nature into redeemed man so that man would become God's expression, enlargement, counterpart, and habitation. These studies go far beyond mere doctrine and unveil a personal, practical, and experiential Christ. In these short 26-minute programs, we summarize and condense Witness Lee's rich speaking. But to enjoy all the riches in these messages, we hope you'll visit our website at lifestudy.com. There, you can read all of the Life Study messages absolutely free of charge. You can even create your own Life Study reading schedule or download more Life Study audio programs just like this one and all at no cost. Again, the website, lifestudy.com. Thanks for listening.